Our show today is about a place. To get to this place, you have to fly to Quito, Ecuador. Then you have to transfer and fly to a small regional airport, and then you have to go in a, a motor lunch, a motor boat, <laughs> lunch in Spanish, motor boat. You have to go for like an hour and forty-five minutes, and then. To enter the park, you have to go in a canoe for two hours because even the sound of a motor and the oil it will spoil the very fragility of this place. The park is called the Yasuni. It's a rainforest in the Amazon in Ecuador. That's Ivana Baki describing the trek to get there. And I should say before playing this next piece of tape from Ivana Baki, this is not a woman who thinks of herself as an environmentalist. Abaki could not name a lot of the animals in the park or tell you much about the trees, but she says just being there, just being in the park, is transformative. Oh my God! It's, you know, you breathe and you see the difference of oxygen that you breathe. The life of everything that could could find as animals is there. In, in the evenings, if you put a recording, you can have the best natural orchestra you have ever heard. It's like being. Why do you explain? The, the, born again, uh, seeing the what it means to 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 start at the beginning of life. It's like the beginning of life. You believe in God when you go there. It's creation, pure creation, completely. There is just one problem. There's something underneath the park. Oil, a lot of oil, and extracting that oil, that would mean going in with a lot more than a canoe. According to the studies, it's around 900 million barrels of oil. It's 20% of the oil of Ecuador is there. It's huge. And it could be more. They are saying that it could be a billion, it could be 5 billion. But what the studies shown when they did it, it's 900 million, 846 million barrels to be exact. Now, if you take it at the $100 a barrel, it will be around 20 billion so it's like you just found $20 billion hidden underneath your park. Yeah. We are sitting in a treasure. It's quite a, it's quite a bind you find yourself in. It's, yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, it's a big dilemma. What do we do? We keep the oil on the ground or we take it out? Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Khana Jaffe-Walt. Today on the show, what Ecuador decided to do. It had two options. Take the oil out, make a lot of money, but potentially ruin the pristine jungle or leave the oil in the ground and let go of all that money. Now, what Ecuador decided to do is go for both, money and paradise. Ecuador may have come up with an ingenious plan to have it all. Keep the earth below my feet. A lot of countries find themselves in this situation where they discover some valuable resource in the ground and there's some environmental cost to extracting it. And the country just has to choose. Which one do they want? Do they want the money from the natural resource or do they want the environment? And in Ecuador, this decision was particularly painful. Ivana Baki works for Ecuador's government. And she says Ecuador has defined itself as being pro-environment. Ecuador has the Galapagos. And in its constitution, in the country's constitution, they have written that nature has its own rights. It can't speak for itself, so people have to look after it. So there's that. But on the other hand, Ecuador desperately needs the money that that oil would bring. Oh, it was really tough. 
the environmentalists, they will say, of course, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. But then you have to be realistic. I mean, we don't have anything. I mean, we, we are a developing country that needs everything. You name it. Electricity for places that are remote. Education. You need schools. Infrastructure. We don't have it. I mean, it, we are just starting for health. In health issues, we need so much basic things for infant um, mortality. So it's the basics. We're starting from zero. And so when you need so much, you're sitting with in something that has so much money and you are in need and you're saying we're going to save the birds and the trees. And what about the human? It was an impossible choice. And so Ecuador's president, Rafael Correa, invented a third option. In 2007, he got up on stage at a United Nations development conference and proposed something new. La iniciativa plantea el compromiso de no explotar cerca de 920 millones de barriles de petróleo. Here's Ivan Abaki again. He proposed that we want to keep the oil there. What we need in exchange is compensation. For, for compensation meaning money. Money. But it's still we are ready to forego half of what we will get if we extract the oil and we will ask from you to give us the other half. How much money? At that time, half it was 3.6 billion in the next 13 years. So we won't drill it, but we would like the world to give us $3.6 billion. And not we're talking about everyone in the world. We're talking about developed countries that we are giving a service. It's, it's, a, it's an environmental service. This is a really interesting idea. Ecuador is basically asking to be paid to do nothing. Ecuador promises not to touch the oil, but it wants to be paid basically for its inaction. The president tried this idea out on a few international audiences. There was the United Nations and the Clinton Global Initiative. Um, they like it. He got a standing ovation during the Clinton Global Initiative. He got a standing ovation. This idea of paying someone not to do something bad, there are some isolated examples the U.S. has a small program to pay farmers not to farm their land to preserve the soil. But it gets really tricky when you're asking one country to fork over money to another country. This comes up a lot in climate change talks. It came up when I was at the talks in Copenhagen. And the reason is that there's this fundamental problem, which is rich countries have gotten rich by burning fossil fuels. That gives them cheap electricity and cheap gas for cars. But that has obviously caused some problems, including climate change, right? So now we're in a situation where developing countries also want to enjoy cheap gasoline and electricity, but that's bad for everyone. So how do you get them not to do that? One solution is you could pay them somehow. Pay them not to do the thing that's destructive. In a broad sense, that is what Ecuador is asking for here. And Ecuador is asking for it through Ivan Abaki. Ecuador has been sending Ivan Abaki all around to make the pitch. And she says she gets lots of different reactions. They tell me, are you stupid? You have oil in such a big amounts there and you're not taking it out? Is it awkward going around and basically asking for money and you're not giving anything super concrete in return? You're basically yeah. saying... This is the point, David, exactly what you're saying. For me, it's so difficult because how do you sell oxygen? How do you explain to somebody I want money because I'm giving oxygen to the world? I mean, what is... Are you crazy? <laughs> she told us how she makes her pitch. Basically, she'll have some meeting with a foreign minister or an elected official, and she'll walk into the room armed with DVDs and photos showing how special the Yasuni is. She's got a fact sheet that includes details like... 
One hectare in Yasuni contains more tree species than are native to the whole of North America. And she, she said she also makes sure to sit on the same side of the table as the person she's talking with, not across the same side. And she's very careful about the words she uses. She never wants to sound like what she is proposing includes a threat. We're saying we have a unique place that has value to the world, and we want to conserve it. Just to be clear, do I understand the terms of this correctly? Ecuador has pledged it will leave that oil in the ground as long as it gets $3.6 billion. No, it's not the way we're putting it. I'm not putting it that way. We're not saying we will leave it until unless we get this. We are saying we would like to be compensated because we need the money. And it's something that it's not. It's an environmental service to the world. And we would like to be compensated. What happens if you don't get the money? I don't want to even think about it. I don't, I don't want to think about it because I don't want to see this place destroyed. And it might be. It might be. I'm not saying that it's not. It might be. Yes, it might be. You might drill under this park. We are not going to drill under this park. You just said it might happen, though. Before. I said it might. I didn't say it will. But now you just said you're not. Because I believe. You know we're that. recording this. Because I believe in it. Ivana Baki has this really, really fine line to walk, if you think about it. I mean, if you're making this pitch, you don't want to say, give us the money or we're going to destroy the rainforest. On the other hand, if you don't have that threat, it's hard to make your case that people should just give you money. You have to say, we want to preserve this area. And look, here's this fund you can contribute to. And if we don't get enough money, I, I can't promise what happens next, which can sound a little, a little mafia. I mean, the joke we used to always talk about was, uh, you know, give me the money or I'll shoot the trees. This is Billy Pizer. He was the deputy assistant secretary for environment and energy under Obama. He's an economist now at Duke University. And I should just say our wives happen to be old friends. When he was at Treasury, he says someone came by to present the Yasuni idea to him. And he says personally he would love to see the rainforest kept safe. But the way this proposal was set up, this paying a country for not doing something bad... It was worrying. You kind of set up a situation where you're encouraging people to find resources that they could extract and then shop around for people to potentially to try to pay them not to extract them. Yeah, you could argue it feels a bit like like blackmail. Blackmail or extortion or something like that. I mean, I, I wouldn't accuse anyone that is behind this of, of that sort of an intention but you could just kind of imagine anybody that had a valuable ecosystem, a large forest or you know, some really rare biodiversity threatening to destroy it unless they were paid some ransom. And you could also be worried about people getting a payment one day and then 10 years later saying, OK, I'm going to do it again. And it's not really clear where that stops. Where does it stop? This is something Abaki heard from a few countries as she was touring around the world. Germany was excited about the idea of supporting the rainforest, but did not like how the whole thing was set up. Yeah, we actually have this press release here from the German development minister. I think you pronounce his name Dirk Niebel. And he says, quote, Germany will not contribute to a fund that is based on the philosophy of payment for non-action. It is action that must be rewarded. Exclamation point. There is an exclamation point. There. <laughs> That's right. Abaki says the Germans asked her, if we pay you not to extract your oil, what's to stop Saudi Arabia from demanding payment for not drilling its oil? Here's what she says about that. 
it's different. I mean, the Saudi Arabia is a desert, and uh, you put, as I said, a, a toothpick and you get oil. It's not something that you are spoiling or damaging a unique place in the world that gives oxygen uh, to the world. But it, it's different. And this argument with the Germans, that's a big reason why preserving the environment is fundamentally a really hard problem to solve. Because what Ecuador actually wants is to be paid to preserve its rainforest. But there's no established way to put a price on nature, on oxygen, as Abaki puts it. There's no way to put a price on all those insect species. People have talked about a way of putting a price on trees as a way of dealing with climate change since trees suck carbon out of the atmosphere. I mean, right now, you can get a special credit for not cutting down a tree, which you can sell to some coal plant operator in Europe who needs or wants to offset the carbon the plant is emitting. But there really is not a big global marketplace for these things. And so in place of something like that, Ecuador is saying, look, there is one thing in this jungle that has a very clear price. It's the oil that's beneath the ground. So just give us, I don't know, give us half of what it would be worth on the market. Abaki did have these arguments with some countries. She had people tell her she was crazy not to drill, that this was a weird or bad idea. But Ecuador pressed on. The country set up a special fund. It outlined exactly how the money would be spent only on renewable energy projects or conservation. The money would be overseen by a trusted international authority, the United Nations, and the rules would stay in place even after the current president and Ivan Abaki have moved on. So in 2010, the fund opened up officially and some countries started handing over checks. The first country to contribute to the fund was Chile. After Chile, it was Spain, then Italy, France, not as a government, but as, but as regions of France, region of Belgium, um, Turkey, so many other different countries, Georgia. Even Germany that had raised objections, Germany found a way to contribute. The government says it is simply paying Ecuador to help conserve. It is not paying for inaction. The United States? No, the United States, the government, not yet. How much money is in the fund now? We are counting just what we have now. It's around $350 million. So we have, we, have, we have a lot of money. You have about a tenth of the amount you want. Yeah. Ecuador can, at any point, decide to drill. Abaki was clear on this. It's our choice. She kept saying, I don't think we will, but it's our choice. And the country's promise that if it does drill in the Yasuni, it will give all the contributions back. So right now, Ecuador is waiting to see if that money comes in. And just waiting, that requires some pretty serious willpower because drilling is always going to be very tempting. We talked to an Australian journalist who had traveled to the Yasuni Park. Her name is Melissa Fry. And she told us this story about at the end of the trip, the guide took her and a couple other journalists back to this tiny airport. And he was about to put them on the plane. And he sort of gathered us around and gave us a little speech, you know, a little pep talk about, you know, this was, you know, the end of the journey with him, um, but that he hoped we liked Yasuni and to take the message out to the rest of the world. And he was, he was actually starting, his passion, he was starting to sort of, you know, tear up. And, and then I sort of was listening to him, but as I was listening to him, I was looking around this little airport and the only other people there were all oil company people um, walking around with nice sneakers and chambray shirts and little kind of with little stitched logos of their oil company. There are only two groups of people that fly into that airport by the Yasuni Park. There are bird watchers and there are oil people. 
The oil people are there to work on other projects nearby in the Amazon and to explore other possible projects. There's all sorts of companies there. There are Chinese, Spanish, I think Chevron is, is there, was there as well. I think that the private companies are certainly eyeing it off and, and, um, and would be very keen to go in there if Ecuador let them. Ecuador gave itself a generous time frame to raise the money. They have 12 more years to wait, to do nothing, and to try to raise more than $3 billion. And as time goes on, it could get even more tempting to drill. The oil used to be worth $7 billion in 2007 when Ecuador started out on this quest. It is now worth more like $20 billion. In another 10 years, who knows? Keep the earth below my feet. As always, we love to hear what you think. You can send us email, planetmoney at npr.org. You can find us online, npr.org slash money, where you can also find a listener survey that we would really, really love for all of you to fill out. It would make Caitlin very happy. And it would make it would make all of us happy because we like to know that you're out there and listening and who you are and what you like. It's at npr.org slash money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 